Hi, my name is Anthony Hernandez, and this is my wife, Ronnie Hernandez. We started looking for a new church. Uh, we started praying about it. It was midnight, and I was doing um, my um, studying in the Word, and it was like God was like, Ronnie, you, need, you guys need to find a church um, that has community. We chose Eagles Landing to look at, and the first sermon was talking about community, and we both looked at each other, and it was like, wow, okay, God, we're listening. And so the whole sermon was, uh, we want to do life together. And I think in my 38 years of going to church, I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on community. So that really spoke uh, to both of us. We had actually picked the same life group uh, to go to. From the very beginning, it was such a sense of community. Uh, everybody was checking on each other. Everybody would message me, hey, do you need anything when Anthony was out of town, especially with uh, Micah being just born? I tell everybody, uh, be a part of a life group or be a part of um, that special connection that you can do life together. My entire life group will be there for us, um, for all those hard moments and happy moments that we have. It was just an answer to prayer of the community that we found at Eagles Landing. We were blessed with another family, which was the greeting team. You see new people to the church and we're the first people that they see. So, you know, we want to, we want to show them Jesus' love and just be there for the people in the community. So whoever walks through that door, we can just be overflowing with the love of God so we can show people that. That's the main thing I love about our greeting team. In May for Mother's Day, we did the parent commissioning for Micah and Josiah. It was a great time for us to be able to have the commissioning from the church that uh, we're going to raise our boys uh, in church um, and disciple them and have the church be alongside us. During the summer, we were able to be a part of Camp 323. This was our first time, and it was so much fun. It was exhausting at the end of the week, but we had the best time uh, being able to serve and uh, just be able to see so many different activities um, tied into uh, the Bible and just learning more about God. I would have to say that the highlight of our year was definitely Josiah getting baptized um, when it was Baptism Sunday. We were watching everybody get baptized and he was always scared of the water. And so I had told him, you know, they'll bring you back up. He had already accepted Jesus as his savior uh, back in July of 2022. And so we had always talked about baptism, but he was scared of the water. So we never um, went through with baptism until uh, Baptism Sunday uh, that we were watching everyone else get baptized. Then that's when he kind of leaned over and was like, I want to get baptized. And I looked at him and I was like, are you sure? <laughs> and then he said, yes. You could tell that the love of Jesus was just overflowing with him and he understood what this meant to show everybody in the world and especially our church family, you know, why he's getting baptized and what it means to show everybody that he's getting baptized to follow Jesus. Um, I accepted Jesus in my heart. I can't thank God enough for sending us to Eagles Landing.
together one more time and celebrate really what God is doing in the life of the Hernandez family. Um, there is so much that's packed into that video about who we want to be as a church. Um, if, if you notice, they talked about community and finding relationships where they can grow in biblical community with each other. They talked about baptism. They talked about seeing people come to know Christ through engagement and mission. Uh, so much about who we want to be was packed into that video. So I hope that you caught some of those nuggets um, that they have been able to participate in really over the past year of being a part of our faith family. Today is going to be an exciting day. I'm going to be brief this morning. Um, I've decided that what I want to do today is just kind of talk to you from my heart. Okay, now that can be a dangerous thing because we've learned that the heart's deceitfully wicked. Uh, but I do want to talk to you from my heart and kind of share with you uh, some things that the Lord has been teaching me um, in hopes that uh, of an overflow of what the, the Lord's been teaching me, maybe some of this uh, will be needed by you. John Piper is uh, a former pastor and theologian. He says this, he says, Jesus is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. What he means by this is that for Jesus to get most glory from us, then we need to find our most satisfaction and our fulfillment in him. Our satisfaction and fulfillment in the Lord Jesus comes only when he rules and reigns in our individual lives. You may have noticed over the past year, maybe a little bit longer than a year, we've been talking a lot about the kingship of Jesus. We've plastered on this wall over here that Jesus is king, We've replaced our baptism shirts with Jesus is King, and we're hoping that you will not only start to declare that with your lips, but you'll declare it with your hearts that Jesus really does rule and King over your own individual life. We are most fulfilled when we live the way that we were designed and created to live. And you and I were designed, we were created to live our lives in such a way that brings our Creator much glory. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew, this is the first Gospel of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Matthew's where we're going to be. I want you to turn to the 13th chapter. So Matthew chapter 13. We're going to read one verse this morning together. Um, but this is in a section of Scripture uh, that is referred to as the Kingdom Parables. And there are seven distinct Kingdom Parables. We're going to talk about two of them today, but we're really going to focus on one of them this morning, and that is Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. So as you're turning there, I want you to contemplate and think and consider this question. What do you value most in life? What do you value most in life? If there was one thing that you have in your life, if you lost it, that losing it would absolutely wreck your soul. That helps you identify what it is that you actually value. What do you value most in life? Let me ask the question like this. What do you treasure in your life above everything else? What do you treasure and value and cling to tightly in your individual life that means more to you than everything else? For some of you, you might say, it's a relationship, or maybe it's even your reputation. For others of you, maybe it's your education. Maybe it's even a career. For some, it's fitness. Maybe your own personal individual health. 
For most of us in this room, when we think about what we value most in life, when we think about if we lost something that this would wreck our souls, the thing that comes to our mind is either our family or our friends. And that is certainly the case with me. When you ask me that question, Trey, what do you value most in life? One of the things that I would probably say immediately is my family, specifically my wife and even my kids. What? Oh, yeah, oh, I say uh, even my kids. No, seriously, like, there's days I don't value them. I thought they put something on the screen. <laughs> Yeah, I was lost. <laughs> Y'all just ready to go home? <laughs> I kid, I kid. You know, this week I was reminded, though, of how much I even value my kids. Um, Halloween was Tuesday night. You guys might remember that. Some of you participate in that. Some of you don't. And the reason we love Halloween around here is not because of the holiday and what it represents, but because of the fact that our neighbors actually walk up to our door and knock on our door and we get an opportunity to love on them and to share with them, uh, really to connect with them in a relationship. And Halloween was on Tuesday night, and we took our kids, um, I don't even know what the neighborhood's called over here, Brush Arbor, uh, some of you live there. We took our kids up there, and they had a great time going through different homes and getting all these different candy bars. And I mean, they, live, they give out like actual real-size candy bars <laughs> in this neighborhood. So they came home with all this candy, and they ate all this candy, right? And like, they're like cracked out on sugar, we're trying to calm them down. And, you know, parents are interesting people. You know, we get upset with our kids because they act obnoxious, but we just fed them like dozens of candy. Um, makes no sense at all. Uh, but they're, they're on a sugar high, and we're trying to calm them down. I finally get River, our youngest, calmed down. I take him into the bathroom because we're preparing for him to go to bed. He has school the next day. I don't know why they ever do Halloween on school nights, but it is what it is. So we're trying to get him calmed down. I brush his teeth. You know, I wanted to make sure I got all the bacteria off of his teeth. He's only six. He doesn't really, six. Yeah, he's six. <laughs> I even love my kids. I value them. <laughs> Promise. But he's six. He doesn't really get all the bacteria. So I was brushing his teeth. And I tried to get it real good. And I don't really trust kids' toothpaste. Dr. Dellinger, don't know where you are, but I don't trust kids' toothpaste. He's a dentist. Um, uh, but I do trust, like, the adult toothpaste, so I'll tell him it's going to be spicy, but you got to be a man. you got to be able to take it. And, uh, and I'll say, don't, don't let no tears come out of your eyes, so I'm brushing his teeth really good, and I'm like, is it spicy? He's like, no, nah, no, nah, it ain't spicy. I'm like, that's right, it ain't spicy. So we get it real good, and we, we brush his teeth, and then we put him in bed, and uh, we have a dog that we try to keep in our room. Um, that's obnoxious in of itself. I never thought I'd have a dog in the house. Um, and it wasn't one of the things I valued, but I, for all the pet lovers, I love my dog. Um, but anyways, we have, we have a dog, so we're trying to keep it in the room, so I had shut the door, and the next thing I noticed is Reese, our now eight-year-old, um, came into the room telling me, hey, something's wrong with River, something's wrong with River, so I start to listen, and he is in like a terrifying screaming cry. So I, of course, as any parent would, my heart jumps out of my chest, and I race into his room, and he is just bawling and screaming on his bed, and I sit down, I pick him up, and I try to comfort him, and nothing I could do was comfort him. He has these big alligator tears that are falling out of his face. So I picked him up. Um, I keep telling my wife, by the way, for all of those who need to know this, like I had my gallbladder removed last week, and uh, I'm a new man. I'm a great new man. Um, but I, I still use the excuse, you know, I can't pick up things that are heavy so that my wife has to do all the hard work around the house. Um, I'm trying to eat it up as much as I can. 
a partially kid, a partially kid. Uh, but I, I bring him up, and I take him into our bedroom. I try to calm him down. I sit him actually on the counter, the sink counter right there, and he's telling me something in his mouth that's hurting. So I start to look, and he had bitten into like a hard piece of candy from a bracelet, a candy bracelet, and he broke his entire back tooth. I mean, it's gone. Like, it's, it's, it's bad. And, um, and I'm sitting here, and, and he's telling me it hurts at the top and the bottom, and really the pain from the top was affecting the bottom. Um, so anyway, so I'm like rubbing ore gel all up on this thing, trying to get it to calm down. We gave him ibuprofen and did everything we could. He ended up finally uh, going to sleep and sleeping through the night. But I'm telling you as a parent, if you've ever experienced stuff like that, like you, you really start to freak out a little bit. And that's exactly what I was doing. Uh, my body changed. My stress level, my blood pressure was going through the roof. And for a moment there, there was nothing I could do to alleviate the pain for my child. And I'm trying to figure this out and put things together to make this go away. And I was reminded of how much I do value even my children. You know, I wonder what elicits those same emotions in your life. Like what things we value, what things we hold on to that when things kind of get out of control or unravel a little bit, those same emotions, you feel them. They come out of your life as well. And then I started to think about this. Those things I value in life, what if God asked me to lay those things down? What if God said, Trey, you know those things I'm showing you that you value most in your life, your wife, your children, your family, your friends, your church, I want you to lay those things down. You know, I don't know about you, but the weight and the gravity of even that question is a bit gut-wrenching. And the reason it's gut-wrenching to me, and maybe you're familiar with the story, is because sometimes God tests us just to see what is most valuable to us. Remember the story of Abraham and Sarah? Abraham and Sarah were told that the Messiah would come through their, through their, through them, and they quite frankly thought that was comical. Abraham was 75 years old. Sarah was infertile. She was barren. Someone comes to Abraham and says, no, you're going to actually have a child, and he laughs. And then later goes to Sarah and tells her she's going to have a child. She laughs. She even had her ear to the door as the people were telling Abraham. She laughed then. And sure enough, Abraham had such little faith in that that he ends up hooking up with, you know, the other, Hagar. And you know the story. And then Sarah and uh, God, God actually fulfills the giving of that child to Abraham later when he was 100 years old now in life. And the name of that child is Laughter, Isaac. You know the story. And what did, what did God ask Abraham to do with Isaac in Genesis 22? He asked him to sacrifice his son, didn't he? He said, I want you to go. I'm going to test you. That's what he said in verse 1. And I want you to go to this mountain, and I want you to lay your son down on the altar. And I want you to sacrifice him there. And the Bible tells us that Abraham, instead of resisting and complaining and crying and all of that, what did Abraham do? He rose up early in the morning. He saddled everything together, and he took off with his boy to the mountain that God told him to go. And he was ready and willing to sacrifice his son. It even says that when they got there, his son looks at him and says, well, 
but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham basically tells the people that went with him, he says, listen, me and my son, we're going to return to you. Like Abraham knew that this was the child that was supposed to fulfill the promises of God. So if God kills him, he's going to resurrect him. I mean, there's no way around it. Whatever God does, this child's going to live. And he was trusting so much in the promises of God, he was willing to do whatever God asked him to do. This was Abraham's most valuable possession. And here he was, willing to lay it down for the sake of Christ. Matthew 13, is an interesting parable. We're going to read it together, and this is what it says. I didn't intend to tell you all that, but here we go. It says, the kingdom of heaven. Now, when you see the word, the kingdom of heaven, you can substitute the word Jesus there. Because there is no kingdom apart from its king. What, what, what makes the kingdom a kingdom is the fact that the kingdom has a king, okay? So you can put Jesus' name there. So Jesus, the Bible says, is like a treasure that is hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Okay, so just get this picture in your head. You know, I've used it as an illustration before that two guys are playing Frisbee in the field. The Frisbee was thrown over one guy's head, and he goes and picks up the Frisbee. He sees something in the ground. He kicks the dirt and realizes there's some treasure under the ground, and he picks it up. But really, that illustration doesn't do justice to what's happening in the text. Why? Because in this text, we really believe, commentators say, that actually this man was searching for something in the field. And the reason they believe that is because the next parable says this. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it, that one valuable pearl. So here in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, the man is in the field, and he's searching for something, and he comes across this treasure. It's significant in value. It's, it, it, it's, he, he knows immediately that this isn't like every other thing that he has ever found. And then what does he do? The Bible says, then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, he lays it down, and he buys that field. Now let's just be real clear this morning. Did the man who find the treasure want the field, or did he want the treasure? He wanted the treasure. And what is the treasure? Jesus. The treasure is Jesus. There's two questions I believe that this simple parable causes me and you to ask even this morning. The first question I think we need to ask is this. Is Jesus our greatest treasure? Is Jesus your greatest treasure? Can you say with any integrity at all this morning that Jesus is who you value most in life? When I went through that series of questions asking you what it is that you value most, what it is that you treasure most, did you think of Christ? Did you think of his community? Did you think of his church? Or are you thinking things that are outside that sphere, that sphere and outside that spectrum? Is Jesus your greatest treasure? See, if Jesus is your greatest treasure, then Jesus is indeed your king. And Jesus is king, whether you and I admit that or not. We understand that, right? But listen, if you're going to say that Jesus is king of your individual life, if you're going to say that Jesus is who you value and who you treasure most, then there's something that's emphatically true. And that is this, that you do not simply invite someone like this into your life just so that you can get good advice when you need it. You don't invite someone like this in your life just so that you can have good moral support when you feel like you're down in the dumps. Instead, we surrender and we submit to his kingship and we allow him the right to rule and to reign over our individual lives. Let me say it like this. 
If Jesus is our greatest treasure, that will be evident in how hard we chase after him. If Jesus is your greatest treasure this morning, the evidence, the proof is in the pudding. It is revealed in how hard you're chasing after him. Let me say it this way. If Jesus is your greatest treasure, the evidence is, is, is in what you're willing to lay down in order to follow him. It will be evident in how we do community. It will be evident in how we approach the church gathering. It will be evident in how we love one another. It will be evident in how we collectively engage in the mission of God together for his name and for his glory. See, if you don't find, if, if you don't look for treasure, if you don't go seeking him, you won't find him. Jeremiah said it this way. He said, if you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with what? With all of your heart. And that's what Jesus wants. He wants us to chase hard after him. He wants us to, to, to seek him, to, to want to know him more and more every day. And he promises us, as we do that, we will indeed find him. You know the beauty of this, though? Is you can't seek Jesus sitting on your couch. You can't seek him there. It requires something out of you. It requires biblical community. It requires the people of God. And it requires doing things the way that God wants them to be done. In order to find Jesus, you have to dig. And you have to dig deeper. And then you have to dig deeper than even that. And you keep going and keep going until you, you're just overwhelmed with wonder and awe at who this great God is. I'm telling you, there is nothing more fascinating in all the world than a man or a woman who gets inside of the word and every single time they open the scriptures, they learn new truths about God. And because they're learning so many new truths about God, they just want to eat up more and more of the word. And you know what this is like, ma'am. You know what this is like, sir. You've had your own individual times where you're reading scripture and you're so blown away by the things that God revealed to you that you want to read more scripture. And that's the thing that, that Paul talks about. He says, man, I was so full, yet I was starving for so much more. And that's how our lives should be characterized when we treasure Jesus, is we're so full of him, yet we're starving for so much more of him. So the first question is, is Jesus your greatest treasure? You know, when you think about the life of Paul, Paul's joy came from Christ. I want you to hear what he said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 through 8. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. No matter what possession... I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Well, what is Paul saying? Paul's saying that the true joy, the genuine joy, the real joy that he experienced in his own individual life didn't come from the things of this world. That his true joy came from the person of Christ Jesus. And when you discover Paul's life, he wrecked a ship. And what did he do after he wrecked a ship? He got off of it and started telling people about Jesus. You know the story of Paul's life. He was thrown into prison. What happened when he went to prison? He started telling people about Jesus. Like no matter what circumstance or situation that Paul found himself in, whether it was pleasant or unpleasant, Paul had one goal, one ambition, and one thing that he wanted to accomplish, and that was to make the name of Jesus known to everyone that he encountered. And that was the one thing that provided him the joy that no one could strip away, that no one could take away, is the fact that he treasured his relationship with Christ above all things. So Jesus was his true treasure. The question again for you this morning is, is Jesus our true 
and greatest treasure. There's a second question I believe this text causes us to ask this morning. Not only do we need to know, is Jesus our greatest treasure? But secondly, we need to know this. Are we willing to do whatever it takes to advance the gospel? As we look back and celebrate all the things that God has done over the past uh, year, and we look forward in anticipation for all the things that he's going to do in the next year, the question on the table for us this morning is, are we going to be willing to do whatever it takes, except sin, of course, so that the gospel of Jesus can advance to people who don't know it? Like, will we take it serious to invite people to a comedy and worship night so that they might come to know Christ? Like, will, will we push our comforts to the side so that we can invite people who don't know Jesus and don't have a faith family to come and discover who he really is and how good of a God he is to serve? See, when this man found Christ, he sold it all, the Bible says. In fact, it says that in his joy, he went and he sold it all. Now, when you think about it on the surface and you're reading this parable for the first time, maybe you're here and you've never heard this parable before. And, and let's be honest, the first time I heard it, I thought this was a bit provocative. Like, you're telling me that this guy, in order to make Jesus his true treasure, he was willing to, in his joy, go and sell all that he had, every possession, so that he could buy a field to have that one specific treasure? But that's what these parables do. They invite us to begin imagining a different kind of world. These parables that Jesus gave when he spoke through these stories, he wanted the people that were following him to start to be able to dream a little bit about what the world could look like if it embraced him as their king. And the same challenge that Jesus is giving his disciples, I'm giving you this morning. Imagine what Henry County could look like. Imagine what McDonough could look like. What Stockbridge could look like. What Spalding County could look like. If you and I, the, the, the people that make up this church family, embrace Jesus as our king. Imagine what it could look like if we were willing to do whatever it took for people to come to know Jesus. So these parables, they help us dream of a neighborhood or a city that's saturated in Jesus. A place where the people that make up that city are compassionate and they're kind and they're generous to one another. Where people in that city are actually unified up under the body and the banner of the Lord Jesus. A city that has a feel and a fragrance of love. And everywhere you go, you feel the love and the fragrance of love that only Jesus can give. A city where every home and every family is literally steeped over and over and over again in the goodness and the glory of God. Like, can you imagine a place like that? My question to you, church family, is do you want Henry County to know Christ Jesus as King? Do you want your neighbors and even the nations to know Jesus is Lord? And do you want them to embrace him as the king of their individual lives so that they can experience the same goodness and the same joy that you experience because you know him? That's why I'm here. I'm here because I want to advance the gospel and I want you to join me in doing that. My question again is, are you willing to do whatever it takes to see this gospel advance? I want to touch on some hot topics this morning because I think that when we start to think about, yes, we're willing to do whatever it takes for the gospel advance, there are some things that come into play that we need to consider. One, what if that means that we have to deny and reject and discard some of our traditions as a, as a church? Are we going to hold on to those traditions so tightly with white knuckles, clenched fists, that we're unwilling to let them go if that's what God wants to do to advance the gospel? 
What if it means for the gospel advance, that means that we have to take it serious when it comes to our faith and financial giving, our generosity. Are you gonna hold on so tightly to what is yours, really belongs to God, that you're unwilling to do whatever it takes to see this county come to know Christ? What if it means that for some of us, we have to move from being spectator to becoming a participant? Are you gonna say, well, you know, I've been a participant for 30 years, it's time for me to spectate? Or are you gonna say, you know, I'm gonna finish my race well for the glory of God and I'm not gonna stop until this county is turned upside down for the cause of Christ? What if it means even getting serious about growing in Christ and, and having daily Bible intake and, and trying to have people invest into your life over and over again so that you might know Jesus? What, what if Jesus told us that our, our county, our city, McDonough, Stockbridge, wherever you live, that their ability to come to know Jesus was solely dependent on how much you were willing to grow in his likeness? Would that change the way that you approached coming to know Christ? Listen, real growth is not about what you can do for Christ. Real growth is standing in awe and in wonder of what Christ has already done for you. And when you and I continue to keep our eyes fixed on the finished work of Jesus and all that he did for us so that we can be forever reconciled to God in a personal relationship with him, it becomes the thing that our lips want to tell the world about. It motivates us to, to make sure that everybody that we know might come to know him. This morning, I want to give you a picture, a vivid picture of what it looks like to be an individual or a group that puts their yes on the table before any question is asked so that the gospel might be able to be advanced. So Matt Duran, you and your crew, why don't you go ahead and come out here. Uh, this is a group of people, or is it just you? Oh, they're coming out from up here. There are several families in our church who have put their yes on the table over the past year, and as a result of putting their yes on the table over the past year, we have been able to see a multiplication effect happen, and we're seeing more people reached by the gospel than we were uh, before this happened. So I'm going to let Matt uh, share a little bit about what's going on in his individual group and how it's multiplied so that more people can come to the group that he was in, but also it's created space for people who don't have a group to come into the new groups that have gotten started. I love this. I'm so excited about what you're talking about. I got to be honest, I got real convicted what you just said, though. What if our county was dependent upon how much I grew in my faith? Made me think about our life groups. What if, what if this county, what if the impact of the gospel was based upon what our life group was willing to do. And that made me think about that. You know, life group, we love our life group. Luis and I have loved teaching life group. She's over in the kids ministry now doing Elevate. We have loved being a part of life group. I would love to be with these people every day for the rest of my life. I'm not sitting around going, man, I wish Michelle would go start a life group because she's annoying and I would love for her to leave class and <laughs> stuff, you know. <laughs> I love Michelle. Every one of these people are gifted and they're my friends and they're such an encouragement. We love to be together and love to study. But a lot of times life groups can become like a, a members only, a clubhouse, secret handshake kind of thing where you just kind of meet each other and you stay together and you study the word and hang out together and that's it. But our life group has learned because we do treasure Jesus and not just treasure him, but the mission that he's called us to. Meeting each other was not the end game. Meeting each other was not the end game. 
God wanted to do something bigger through us. And so what we have found in our life group, even in this last year or so, is that we have seen, even though we would love to just spend our days together, we have put our yes on the table. We have opened up our fists, opened up our hands, open hands, open hearts, open minds to do whatever God wants us to because we treasure what Jesus has called us to. And so Michelle has stepped out, you know? She's been a part of our class forever and we love her, but she has stepped out. She's doing a ladies class and a ladies life group and making space for more women to grow. Dean, who I hated to lose, I hated to lose. Dean has started a class for men. He has started a class for men, helping men to grow in their faith and making more space for that. Josh, who was out in the parking lot, y'all probably got almost run over by him in a golf cart out there, all of you. Josh put his yesterday, he's seen more new people come every day. We need to make space for these new families that are coming in. Life group can't just stop with, start, stop with us. We've got to build a reach and multiply and, and provide space for more people and more community to grow. It doesn't stop with us. We're not the end game. And Josh and Lisa have opened up a whole new class to be able to make space for more. And then Louisa and I, because Louisa's doing kids, we, we didn't want to leave. We were comfortable on Sunday mornings where we were. We were comfortable. But, but God's pushed us. We've started a life group at a different time doing something different. We put our yes on the table so that we can make space for new families too. Well, when we moved, these two amazing guys on the end down here, you know, Justin and Matt, they have stepped up and taken our class on Sunday mornings. And all of a sudden, because all of us put our yes on the table and we believe in what God's called us to, it's opened up. We have, we have broken, opened up the clubhouse doors. We've canceled the membership fees and the secret handshakes. And we're like, we treasure Jesus and we want everybody in our community to know it and know that they have a space to grow in life together with our church family. And we still get together. We have, we have, uh, we, we meet, the guys meet for breakfast every Saturday morning at an ungodly hour, we meet. But we love each other and we sacrifice for it because we love each other. And we get together and we have, we're having Thanksgiving together. We're having other events. We serve the city together. We go on mission trips together. We do all that together still because we still believe in that. But more than that, we treasure Jesus and we do want to keep our hands open to this community because he's not done with us yet. We were not the end game. God's still doing stuff more. So we encourage other life groups to follow that same lead. Amen. Can we put our hands together for these guys? Thank y'all. Thank y'all. Thank y'all. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want you to contemplate and consider those two questions. Do you treasure Jesus? Do you value him above everything else? And then secondly, are you willing to do whatever it takes in order for the gospel of Jesus to advance so that other people might come to know him? As you sit there in your seat this morning and you consider these questions, there may be a litany of things that go through your mind. Maybe you're here today and you've recognized, you know what, I have yet to be obedient in following Jesus and believers' baptism. Do you realize that this year we are approaching the 100 mark in how many people have been baptized in the past year? That's tremendous. And maybe if you say yes, you will be that 100th person. Don't say yes for, the, for that, by the way. But. but maybe there's another thing that's going through your mind. Maybe you haven't found biblical community. And you're searching desperately for it. And you know that your faith and your life spiritually depends on surrounding yourself with people who are going to help you, hold you accountable, walk alongside of you in this spiritual journey. And maybe for you, today is a day you say, you know what? 
I'm going to say yes. I'm going to find a group. And if the first group I try, I don't find community there, I'm going to try another group. And if that one doesn't work, I'm going to find another group. And you're going to commit to finding a group and not quitting. Maybe for you, it's, man, I've been visiting this church for a while. I believe in its vision. I believe in its mission. I want to be a part of it, but I have not taken that step to be a part, to connect myself to the body of Christ. And maybe for you, that's your next step. But there is one specific step that I believe every person in this building can play. And I'm going to challenge you today to lock arms with me and doing two things. And that is asking God to search my heart and to show me anything that I might value and treasure more than him. Because at the end of the day, Lord, you are worthy and you deserve it all. And if you gave your life for me in its entirety, then certainly you're not gonna ask anything less out of me for you. You want me to live my life here on this earth for your honor, for your glory with my yes on the table. And the second thing is, am I really willing to do whatever it takes for the gospel to advance? What stands in the way, is it my comfort? Is it my security? What stands in the way of me doing whatever it takes for Jesus to save those who don't know him? What I'm gonna ask you to do this morning, not because I think it looks cool, but because I think that the Lord wants to do something in the life of our church, and I wanna help you know what we're asking you to do so that we can see that that happens, is I wanna invite you, every person that calls Eagles Landing home, to come as close to this altar as you can and go before God and say those two things. God, search my heart. Do I really treasure you above all things? And if you don't, don't be afraid to admit that and to leave it there. And then secondly, am I really willing to do whatever it takes? God, give me the courage, give me the boldness, give me whatever it is that I need to step out, to say yes, and to faithfully follow you from this day forward. So every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm going to ask you to stand right where you are. The band's going to come out, and they're going to play. And our challenge to you is real simple. As a church, will we lock arms together so that Henry County, Stockbridge, McDonough, and the surrounding areas, Spalding, Butts, whatever county you live in, might come to know Jesus as its greatest treasure and its truest king?